Good morning. Warm welcome this morning to all those listening on the radio, uh, watching on Facebook Live, and also those here in the sanctuary at First Church. We have a few announcements this morning before we start our worship. First of all, we'd like to thank Katie Bradigan for being our guest pianist this morning. Well done. The Lord's Supper will be served at the altar this morning. There will be elders serving those who cannot come forward. We'd also ask everyone to check the announcements in the bulletins, many groups, classes, and activities. We'll talk about the fall kickoff. Good morning. Well, as Dave said, it's startup season, which is the best season of all. And that means that Sunday school and youth group and all of those things are starting actually this week. Um, so if you are a student, a youth group student, youth group starts on Wednesday. And it'll be in the ministry center from 7 to 8.30. And then next week, everyone is invited for our fall kickoff picnic. It's going to be right after the service. So maybe come in picnic clothes, a little more casual next week. Um, we'll be having food over in the ministry center starting at 11 a.m. But the games and things like that for kids will start right after the service. So plan on hanging around for that. If you can, uh, please bring a dish to pass. Uh, we will provide the entree of Arby's Roast Beef Sandwiches, um, and we're just looking forward to celebrating the start of a new year together and being together as a church family, so we hope you all can make it. Thank you. Thank you, Dory. At this time, I ask everyone that can to please stand and join me in the call to worship. Today's call to worship comes from Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life evermore. We will now stand and sing our opening hymn number 283, We Are God's People.
seated. We'll now uh, invite all the children to come forward for a children's chat with Mrs. Lammers. Hi, Miles. Oh, come up here close. Well, how was school this week? Good. Oh, okay. Kind of good, not so good. When do you guys pray? Hmm? Oh, to get help. When do you pray? At night? Before you go to bed? And while you're eating, good job. Is that the only times we're allowed to pray? Oh, no, you can pray any time. How long do you pray? Do you pray as long as a television show? You pray that long? You do? Some of you do? Maybe not so much? Sometimes you can pray when you're playing. Somebody's not nice to you and you say, please, God, help me be nice to this person. Well, how do you know this prayer? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You know that one? Well, this is how long it is. Doesn't look like a whole lot, does it? No, but it means a lot. Doesn't make any difference how big or little it is. How about, did you ever learn, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. May angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. You ever heard that one? Yeah, I bet your grandma and grandpa learned that too, a little bit different. Well, Jesus prayed a lot too. He thanked his father for good things and he asked his father for help when things weren't so good. But this is one of Jesus' prayers. Whoa, huh? I had to handwrite that because if I could computer went kapoodle. Look at that. That is what we're going to read out of today. And what they're going to read out starts down here on on verse 20. Now that is one long prayer, isn't it? Does Pastor Joel pray that long? No? Good thing, huh? But some prayers, and if you're really praying sincerely, you, you might be praying. You don't pay attention to how long it is. But I just want to show you, I believe that's the longest prayer that is recorded in the Bible that Jesus said. And you know who he was praying for at the end of that prayer? He was praying for you and for me. This was right before the soldiers came to take him away. And who was he concerned about? He was concerned about his disciples carrying on with him being in heaven. And he knew the church of believers was going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And he asked his father to watch out for all of us. Because sometimes the world's not very nice to us when we believe in Jesus. But he wanted us all to be one in a belief of Jesus and what he can do for us. So I just wanted to show you what Jesus prayed for us too. He prayed for the believers. Let us say a prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, 
thank you for being there for us to listen to our prayers whenever we pray. We know it doesn't matter how long or how short they are, but how much we mean what we say. We love you, dear Lord, and thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mrs. Lammers. Thanks, kids. Just want to take a moment, and uh, and I may sound like a broken record this morning because I think I've said about the same thing each of the last few weeks. But just want to take a moment and invite you to be part of these adult Bible studies that we're starting next week, um, next Sunday, September 12th. I'm beginning a new sermon series on our faith statement. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the faith statement one section at a time on Sunday mornings, looking at Scripture, preaching through what we believe and why we believe it, and why those things are important. Uh, but there's a lot to cover, and you can't always cover everything in every detail during a sermon. Although I try sometimes, it doesn't always happen. Um, and so that's where these small groups are going to come into play. It's going to be an opportunity for us to gather as the body of Christ uh, and meet in these groups to further discuss and dig into the faith statement, and more importantly, dig into God's word that is behind that faith statement and uh, do so as a church family. So there's multiple groups that are starting. Uh, there are going to be different options for uh, what may fit in your schedule. So starting next week, there are going to be groups on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour. Um, if you led by, uh, and, and all these groups are led by elders, uh, but there's a Sunday morning group during the Sunday school hour. And if you're part of that group, that group is going to meet briefly before the uh, fall kickoff uh, while the kids are all playing games they're going to meet and and be done by the time lunch is being served um, there's also a group that meets sunday night wednesday night and thursday morning so if you are able to i really encourage you to be a part of one of those groups there are sign up sheets at the info center right over there um, and i encourage you to sign up so we can uh, continue to study god's word together as a church family uh, the great thing about these groups uh, being led by the elders is, is they've been working on this faith statement for, I think we figured out the better part of two years, right? It's been like over a year and a half that, that we've been working through and studying and praying through this faith statement. And so who better to lead those groups than the people that have been working on that for this time? So really looking forward to that. And I want to encourage you to be a part of one of those groups and encourage you to sign up if possible so we can plan for who's going to be there. In addition to that, there are other Sunday school opportunities, um, kids Sunday school starting up in a couple weeks, lots of good stuff happening, as Corey mentioned earlier, and definitely something to be praying for as a church family as we enter into this new, kind of the beginning of a new church year. Let's be praying for each other, praying for our Sunday school teachers, our students, our adult Bible study leaders, and everyone involved that we would grow together in Christ. And we as a church want to be rooted in Christ, growing together, serving the world. And one of the ways that we root ourselves in Christ and grow together is by studying God's word together in groups like this. So I want to really encourage you to check those out. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me or talk to one of the elders. We'll be glad to fill in, fill in any of those details we can for you. Uh, our offering today is in support of our general fund. And so if you give today, it's going to go to further the, the work and the ministry of the church here in New Knoxville. I encourage you to give if you feel led to give, as God is lead, placing on your heart this morning. Uh, once again, we're thankful that Katie Brodigam is here with us, and, and she's going to be on.
I invite you to remain standing as we sing our next praise song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Before we do that, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 3, which describes that love. Beginning in verse 17, it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's take a moment and sing about that love this morning. Amen. I invite you to pray with me at this time. Father God, we are so grateful for your love for us, your love that is deeper and higher and wider and longer than we could possibly know or understand for ourselves. And so we ask that through the presence of your spirit in our lives and our relationship with you and, and our knowledge of your word, Lord, that you would help us to grasp it, help us to understand the love that you had for us. And it's love that was first and foremost displayed for us through Christ and his death on the cross. Lord, how, how can we possibly earn or deserve your love? How can we gain from, from the reward that he earned through his perfect obedience and sacrifice on the cross? Lord, we can't give an answer because we can't earn it for ourselves. But we can know with all of our heart that, that his wounds have paid our ransom because of the promises of your word, because of your grace offered to us through Christ. We know that we can experience forgiveness and experience grace and experience mercy because of who you are and what you've done for us. And so we thank you and praise you for that this day, Lord. We thank you that in Christ our sins have been forgiven. We thank you that in Christ we can have a relationship with you through 
the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we thank you that it is in Christ we have the hope of eternal life to strengthen us and to guide us as we live for you now in this world. And so, Lord, with, with that knowledge in mind, knowing your love for us, we ask for you to continue to work in our lives, to move and act according to your will, Lord, uh, for the, the many concerns and burdens and doubts and questions that we may have or that we know others are experiencing at this time. We pray especially this day for the names that are represented in the prayers and concerns list. Um, we look at people who are in need of healing, in need of comfort, and in need of provision, in need of, in need of you, Lord. And we ask that you would work in each and every one of their lives and the lives of their families. And may, Lord, we, may you equip us, your people, to be the hands and feet of Christ wherever we can. Help us to meet needs that we see in front of us. And help, Lord, help us to be the answer to your prayers whenever we can. Lord, we also this day lift up our, our Sunday school year that is beginning here very shortly. We thank you for all of our, our teachers and students, uh, the adult Bible studies that will be, be happening, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for the opportunity to gather together again. And I pray for all those that are involved, whether teachers or students, that you would bless them as they seek to, to know you better this year. Lord, we also pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so this Sunday, we pray for our state leaders. We pray for our governor, our state legislature, and state courts. We ask, Lord, that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and that they would be filled. And I pray that they would have wisdom beyond their means as they lead us uh, here in this country. And I also pray, Lord, uh, for leaders within our own church. We thank you for our deacons this morning. Thank you for and, and pray, Lord, that you would bless them for their commitment to, to serve you in this way. Lord, we pray all these things according to your will and according to the Son, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And you may be seated. The scripture today is from John 17, verses 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anita. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will remain forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity now uh, as we worship you this morning. Help us to continue to worship you as we study your word together. Uh, We thank you for the reading of your word and pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds uh, and that you would speak through me, Lord, the message that you have for us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as I already mentioned a few moments ago, we are wrapping up this, this very brief sermon series on the, the high priestly prayer, this prayer that Jesus offers up in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he's betrayed. And as Carolyn shared, I loved the visual, Carolyn, of, of the prayer written out. You know, this is quite a long prayer. We've covered a lot, and Jesus covers a lot and prays for a lot of different things over the course of, of this chapter in John 17. And we've seen so far that Jesus first prayed for himself. He prayed that, that God would glorify him uh, as, as he's preparing to offer himself up on the cross. So Jesus prays that God would glorify him as he is about to accomplish the mission that his father had sent him on. And second, then he prays for his disciples. He prays specifically for that group of, of apostles that he had gathered around himself. And he prayed that they would be protected from the world that, that they would be sanctified through what Jesus was about to do. And now he's going to pray for all believers. And I, and I hinted at this last week. I, I've always found it kind of strange that he has separate prayers for his disciples and for all believers. Because we now look back and think, well, couldn't he or shouldn't he have prayed for the same thing for, for everyone? In fact, you know, we all know Christ. We all have a relationship with him. Why does he pray different things for these, uh, for these two groups of people? Well, he's prayed, he prayed the prayer for his disciples by addressing, you know, some immediate concerns that they were about to, uh, about to experience, right? They were about to be in the crosshairs, right? After Jesus' death, his, his resurrection, his ascension, his disciples were, were tasked with continuing the work that Jesus began in the world. There's just a small group of them, and Jesus knew that they were going to face very intense opposition and persecution as they began to preach that gospel and further the kingdom. But this part of the prayer focuses on issues that churches in the generations since Jesus' death have struggled with and continue to struggle with today. And first and foremost in this prayer is Jesus' desire for unity within the church, within the body of believers that they would be one just as he and the Father are one. And you don't have to know a whole lot of the last 2,000 years of church history to know that unity has often been a struggle for God's people, both within individual churches, but also within the body of Christ as a whole. Right? Think of how many different denominations and church splits and stuff like that that have occurred throughout history. Right? We have... We have, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth Baptist churches or, or congregational churches or whatever in different towns, right? We, we don't always display the unity that God desires for us through our witness. And that's not that different denominations and different churches are inherently wrong, right? There are different expressions of the body of Christ in different places in different ways that those bodies of Christ worship and connect with God. And, and within biblical standards, those things are all good. So I'm not saying that we should get rid of all denominations or separate churches. Far be it, because God works in and through those at different times according to his will. But yet, even across 
church boundaries, even across denominational lines within individual churches. God desires unity for his people, and that's the focus of Jesus's prayer as he wraps it up in John 17. So there's actually three things that he prays for that I want to focus on this morning, and the first being unity, of course. Jesus prays for unity. He also prays that all believers will be with him and experience his glory, and finally, he also prays that that through, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, he would continue to make the Father known to all believers at all times. So let's look at those each in turn. We're going to begin by looking at the unity that Jesus prays for. And in fact, he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. You know, anytime somebody has to repeat themselves, right, whether you're a parent or a teacher in a classroom, right, if you repeat yourself, that means you're emphasizing that, right? You want your hearers, you want your listeners to get what you're saying. And that's what Jesus does here. Look at the first few verses of uh, beginning of verse 20 of John 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be one as we are one. And I and them and you and me, so that you may be brought up to complete unity. And the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You notice there Jesus repeating himself that they would be one, that they would be one, that they would have complete unity. He's emphasizing this multiple times to get his point across. But notice what this unity is for, right? The unity that God desires for us as Christians is, is a gospel issue. It's an it's a evangelism issue, right? It's the oneness that we have as believers in Christ reflects the, the, the oneness that, that we see in the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one together. But it also is, it, it bears witness to the love and work of Christ in the world. Do you see that? Are you following along? The, the unity that we are called to have in Christ is a witness issue. As we are united in Christ, the world will see that and know that God is real, that God is true, and that Christ's work on the cross has accomplished salvation on our behalf. It's so important. If Christians, because let's look at it from the other perspective. If Christians can't be united in spirit, then, they, then why should we expect the world to believe the gospel that we're preaching? Right? If we're just as divided, if we're just as antagonistic, if we're just as, then what reason are we giving the outside world to, to know and believe and trust in the gospel that we proclaim? Right? If we act towards each other just like everyone acts outside of the church, then what good is our witness doing in the world? See, disunity... Division, it all hinders our mission and a witness. And it didn't take 2,000 years for this to become an issue, right? In the, from the early church, disunity was a problem, especially in the church in Corinth. Just one generation removed from the life and death of Christ and resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 3, Paul addresses a divided church. He says, some of you are following Paul, some follow Apollo, some follow Cephas, some follow Christ. He addresses the division that is being created by these different groups in the church. And how does Paul address the problem? What is his solution to disunity in the church? He says, don't focus on human divisions, 
Everyone has a part to play, but God is the one who ultimately makes it grow. So we need to keep our focus on him. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you know, Apollos planted and Paul watered, but it is God who brings the growth, right? That's where our focus needs to be. Unity comes not from focusing on our differences, not from focusing on our preferences, but focusing on Christ and keeping him first in our lives. If we all do that, if we're all on the same page of making him our number one priority, then we will find the unity that God desires to have for us. John 13, which, which if you're looking at the, the timeline of the Gospels, takes place, this is just before Jesus' prayer in the garden, that very night when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. He tells them this in John 13, 35. The words of Christ, he says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice he didn't say you'll know, they'll know you are my disciples by your denominations and church splits. He doesn't say you'll know, they will know you are my disciples by your social media accounts. Not you will, they will know you are my disciples by who you vote for. No, according to Jesus, the way you love one another is evidence that we belong to him. That's what makes the difference. It's the unity we find in Christ and the love that, and the outflow of that unity as love for neighbor is a defining characteristic of Christ followers. And so we're called to be united, but it doesn't mean that our unity is uniformity, right? We can have diversity within the body of Christ and still be united in him. And Paul emphasizes this again to the church in Corinth, but in chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. And even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. See, so we're all united in Christ. We are the body of Christ. So there is a unity there, but it doesn't mean we're all the same. Right? One of the biggest, uh, unity does not mean everyone is a cookie-cutter Christian. Right? We are one in Christ, but he uniquely created us with different gifts, with different personalities, with different resources and opportunities, so that we can glorify God and serve him in those different uh, aspects of how he created us. And one of the biggest dis- disservices that we can do to the body of Christ is to try to whitewash away our differences. You see, the body of Christ is beautifully and wonderfully diverse, and that is something that, that should be celebrated and encouraged. Again, let's look to Scripture for, for what that means for us. In Revelation 7, this is, this is the Apostle John getting a glimpse of what uh, that heavenly home, that heavenly future will look like for all believers. He says in chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and standing around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See that picture that, that, that God provides for us through his word? 
his church in glory in heaven. What the, the fully realized church is going to be one that is diverse. And, and it'll be beautiful and wonderful because of that. And so unity does not mean uniformity, but we can have unity even though we are different. And so the question then remains, how do we obtain that unity? Where does that unity come from? Well, it comes through our union with Christ. Again, back to Jesus' prayer in John 17 and verse 21, he says that he desires that we would all be one just as he and the Father are one. The one thing that all Christians have in common, no matter who they are, where they were born, or what they've experienced in this life, is a relationship with the triune God. Right? That's what makes unity possible. And, and that, that commonality between Christians, right, that thing that we have in common is infinitely greater than any differences that can separate us. And so if I am in Christ, and if you are in Christ, then we, then we are united together in Christ. Does that make sense? So it's not about us agreeing on everything. It's not about us being the same personality-wise or preference-wise, but it's about being united together in Christ. And that unity comes from keeping Him our number one priority and focus. It's like, it's, it's like instruments, you know, that are trying to play together. And, and I know whenever I've shared musical analogies in the past, um, I, I'm not speaking from my own experience, so I'm going to not look any musicians directly in the face when I say this, but I know when, when you're trying to uh, play together, right, you need to tune to a single standard note, right? If every instrument is doing their own thing and every, every singer is doing their own thing and they're, and they're playing off of their own, their own music without tuning into that one single note, it's going to be chaos. But if each part of the band, if each part of the ensemble tunes to the one single standard note, then they're automatically going to be in tune with each other because they're keeping the standard together. And that's what it's like for us as Christians, right? We are called to serve God, to love him. And we do that by focusing our attention on him. And if each one of us as individuals is focused on our relationship with God and knowing him and loving him and serving him, then he's going to bring us in tune, in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek, after, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. We need to make him our number one priority. And the model for that unity is, is the triune God. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Three persons, but one God. And Jesus prays that we would have the same kind of unity with each other. Remember, I, I spoke a couple weeks ago how each member of the Trinity right, glorifies the others. That's the, same, that's the same kind of unity Christians are called to have for each other, always pointing to the other person, constantly serving and loving our neighbor, setting aside our own preferences so that we can meet the needs of others. That's what true, authentic Christian unity looks like. We also see that Jesus prays for the believers to be with him in verse 24. The disciples had the benefit of walking with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And, you know, we can't help but wonder what that might have been like to actually sit down. Now, Jesus is praying for all believers to be with him. But not in his earthly ministry, because that is soon coming to a close. It's in his heavenly glory. Jesus' prayer for all believers is that they would experience eternal life in him. 
Jesus is going to be with the Father and have that glory that he had from the beginning. There's some connections here between the opening part of his prayer and now. And so Jesus is praying that same thing, that, that, that all believers through all time would have that experience, that they will be with him forever in the new heaven and new earth. And in John chapter 14, Jesus had promised he's going to prepare a place so that all believers can be with him forever. And so just as we are united in Christ with our brothers and sisters of the faith, we're also united in Christ for eternity with him. But you know what? We don't have to wait for eternity to experience that relationship for ourselves. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can know him and his presence can be with us now. And eternal life begins the moment that you trust in him as your Lord and Savior and are born again. He fills you with his spirit so you can know him and live for eternity. And we also have to remember, whenever the Bible talks about eternity, whenever it talks about our, 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 our heavenly experience with Christ, right, and, and living with him forever, the focus is always on encouraging us to live for him in the here and now. Jesus is coming again, so we need to be ready and live like it because it could happen any moment. Right? The Bible teaches that God one day will judge the world with justice and righteousness, and so we should pursue justice and righteousness now and seek to promote it every chance we get. Jesus wants us to be with him forever, so we need to invest in our relationship with him now. And Jesus wants us to see him in all his glory, Well, we should give him the honor and praise he deserves now, not just wait for our opportunity to do so in heaven. So third, Jesus prays that he will continue to make the Father known to all believers. We talked last week about how Jesus revealed past tense the Father to during his earthly ministry. Right? Colossians 1.15 reminds us that the Son is the image of the invisible God. When Jesus walked this earth, he was the living embodiment of, of God's character and will and goodness. He was God the Son made flesh. But now that he has returned to his Father in heaven, his ministry is not over. His work is going to continue through the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And earlier in John's Gospel, he promised exactly that, that when he goes to be with the Father, he's going to send the Spirit to be with his disciples. That he will, the Spirit will teach us all things, that he, that he will remind us of what Jesus taught. And so it is through the presence of the Spirit that we can continue to have a relationship with Jesus and that Jesus continues to reveal the Father through us, through the Spirit and to us in our lives. Eternal life is to know God. He said that in verse 3 of this prayer. And so to know God is to have a relationship with him. The ongoing nature of that relationship is carried on through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what does this all mean for us as believers 2,000 years later? Remember, as Carolyn pointed out, as I shared, this prayer is for us today. Well, it means that we need to continue to foster unity within the church. As I said already, unity doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything all the time, but it does mean that we choose to love each other and put each other first. We need to be united around a common purpose, the mission that God has given us to share the good news of the gospel with all people and be the, who God is calling us to be as a church. But it also comes through our words, our actions, and our attitudes. We need to allow our words to, to encourage and build one another up, not tear each other down. 
We need to have the same attitude that Christ had for us, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, right? Philippians 2, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and becoming obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And Paul says, that's the kind of attitude you should have for each other. And it comes through our actions too. In 1 Peter 4, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so we need to pursue unity, not just in theory, but through concrete actions, through our words, our attitudes, and our actions. We also need to, to, to live out Jesus' prayer for us. We need to set our sights on him and be focused on eternity, not the present world. C.S. Lewis, in his, in his essay, The Joyful Christian, said, Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Right? So, so, Paul, so our, our focus should be on him and on, our, on eternity, on serving him, not the things of this world. The last couple summers, we've had the opportunity to teach Jojo to ride a bike, and she's doing very good with it now. But one of the things we have to keep reminding her is, is not to look down at her front tire, right? Her temptation the whole time was to just stare down at the ground immediately in front of her bike. But when she does that, she starts swerving. She has a hard time keeping her balance because she's, her, her focus is right there on the ground immediately in front of her. And so we've had a teacher, you need to look up, you need to look ahead of you, you need to pick a point somewhere out in the distance and ride towards that. Because when you do that, when you keep your sights up, You're able to keep your balance. You're able to keep going and maintain a straight line. And the same is true for our our relationship with Christ. We need to keep our sights on him, not be distracted by the things of this world, not be so focused on the ground right in front of us that we can't see where we're going. We need to be focused on him. And when we do that, we'll be able to live well for him in this world. And finally, we need to invest in our relationship with God. Philippians 2 Right after, after that great Christ hymn where he talks about Christ's uh, humility and, and his sacrifice on the cross, he then says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purposes. And I love these verses because it teaches us the both and of spiritual maturity. That God, that 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 God wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a responsibility we have to pursue him, to, to know him, to invest in our relationship with him. But yet, ultimately, it is God is the one who makes that happen. Because he's the one who works in us to act in according to his will. So that's the both and. It's, it's we are called to pursue God, but he has already pursued us through Christ in the presence of his Holy Spirit. So we need, to, we need to invest in our relationship with God. We need to pray often. We need to read scripture. We need to fellowship with other believers. And in just a moment, one of the ways that we can do that is by participating in the Lord's Supper, the symbol of what God has done for us in Christ, his, his sacrifice for us so that we can know him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation and the unity that you call us to experience in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we as the body of Christ would be united in you. 
and that we would live out and invest in our relationship with you each and every day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, let's sing number 293 for Abel. I invite you to stand and join us as we sing Rise Up, O Church of God. Amen. You may be seated. As we take a moment to prepare our hearts to receive the elements, I want to encourage you to be mindful of a few things. What this represents here, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save the world through him. Right? In Romans 5.8, it teaches us that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we take the elements this morning, we're reminded of, of our need for him, that we are sinners in need of a savior, that there is nothing we can do to earn our way into God's family. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, because of, because of his perfect obedience, because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his resurrection, we can experience our forg the forgiveness of sins. And so we're mindful of our need for God, but we're also mindful of, of, of what God has done for us in Christ and the thankfulness and joy that we should experience in Christ. Looking forward to our heavenly home and enjoying the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven with him one day. But there's also an opportunity in communion to, to remind ourselves that we are united in Christ because of Jesus' sacrifice, that we're united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we don't just take communion on our own, but we take it in the context of the local church with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so for those that are, that are here with us this morning, those that are watching on Facebook or listening on the radio, I invite you to participate in this sacrament. And as you do so, remember that you are part of God's family and that he has given you this family to encourage and support you as well. So let's take a moment, let's pray and reflect on those realities. Father God, we come to you now as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive the elements here, Lord. We, we are reminded of our need for you. We confess, Lord, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we have done things and said things and thought things, Lord, that we're not in line with your will, and that our, that our, that our sinfulness, Lord, 
is what separates us from you. And so we confess those things to you, and we repent from those things and turn to you and your grace and your mercy and your love and the forgiveness that we experience because of Jesus' death on the cross. And so, Lord, we confess that we need you. We confess that we are nothing without you. And we also receive with thankful and grateful hearts, Lord, the grace that you've extended to us through Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have this great promise that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in just a moment, we're going to invite you forward to receive the elements here at the altar. And as I do so, I want to invite you to come up the two side aisles. There'll be uh, people on each side of the altar serving communion. Feel free to come up the side aisles, receive the elements, and take those back to your seats with you down the center aisle. If you're unable to come forward but would still like to receive communion, there'll be a, set, a pair of elders that will deliver communion to you in your, in your seats. So I invite you at this time, all you've received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, to come take this sacrament to your comfort.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the opportunity to to partake in it, to to be reminded of your love for us and that you have saved us and forgiven us and made us children of God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, uh, and, and thank you, Lord, for, for all that you've done. Lord, we don't deserve it, and so we are so grateful for, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we, pray, we ask now that your spirit would fill us as we go from this place and equip us and empower us to live for you every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.